You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to 2019. Woo! Can you believe 20 years ago was 1999? That's crazy. Who here was not yet born in 1999? Okay, by next year, there will be a whole freshman class that will raise their hands. Yeah, just saying, just saying, okay? Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a crazy time. Um, in another, what did I just read? In another 81 years, it will be the year 3000. <laughs> Many of you will be alive in the year 3000. Isn't that crazy? Unless the Lord Jesus returns and we pray he does. Right? Yes, Chris. Your mask doesn't have Good job. Good job. You guys were all going with me for a second. Anyways, so, let's move past that. Scrub that from the recorder. Uh, that's great. Okay, uh, yeah, that's why I'm a pastor. Um, okay, so... Um, a uh, couple things, uh, just a couple quick announcements, or not even an announcement. Uh, one thing, last week was announced to you to utilize the Read Scripture app. Anybody jump on that this year? Read Scripture app. Who's doing it? Okay, great. Those of you who have not, you still can. You just you just go to either the Google Play Store or your, what's the other one? Yeah, dumb. Uh, and you go to the App Store and uh, and you just search Read Scripture. Okay, what's going to come up is uh, a one-year Bible reading plan that will tailor itself to give you push notifications when you want to be reminded. Nice little chunks. Takes you about max. Like, I, I got behind two days. It took me 15 minutes to get caught up in two days. So, great video content that helps you understand the Word of God a little bit deeper in a bigger context. Uh, put together by the two, two of my favorite resources out there, the Bible Project. And, uh, and Francis Chan's ministries. So, um, so anyways, uh, please get on that if you want to get on that. Um, I'm, I mean, it's great. Uh, I'm a few days in already, and uh, and just always good to be refreshed and uh, in a different format than what I've usually done. So, please jump on that. You can do it right now, and you don't even have to have an excuse then as to why you're not. Um, okay, um, show of hands. You guys are already kind of interacting. Show of hands. Who here is selfish? Like really selfish. Like really, really selfish. Anybody want to go for a really, 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 really selfish? Okay. Uh, those of you who still had your hands up, well, how do you know you're? How do you know you're getting selfish? When, when do you? When do you all of a sudden realize, like, wow, that was a really selfish thing? When does that happen in your life? Go ahead. I threw a party for the Winter Classic, Blackhawks versus Bruins, and I told my friends if they showed up during puck drop, they were going to have to wait outside because I wasn't coming to the door. Oh, okay, yeah, so like, and did, did people show up and then, yeah, and then you didn't go to the door? No, they didn't. Or did they call your bluff? They knew I was serious. They, oh, they knew you were serious, so they didn't even bother. They just stood there and waited at the door. Okay, so when you make everybody else bow to your will, that's one of those moments, right? Okay, what else? Anybody? When, is that, when do you realize, like, oh, that was really selfish. Go ahead, Joey. When I get very angry at people for absolutely no reason. <laughs> yeah. When they're just being people. Give me, give me a no reason that you're thinking of. Any specifics? I don't know. Probably like 
when someone takes my parking spot that I usually go My parking spot. My my chair at church. That happened to me this morning. Somebody moved my chair in our prayer circle and I was pretty upset. I wanted God to call fire down upon them. It did not work. Go ahead, Sally. You are a horrible person. Who knew that she who knew that that pleasant lady is such a vindictive <laughs> Go ahead, Don. Everything I'm thinking and everything I'm saying verbally has the word I in it. I or me. Or me. Then you are only thinking about one. Yeah. Person. There's another word too, is it's you when it's paired with I or me, because it usually sounds like you never. I always. Yeah, those are great words. Jonas? When I ask for money and then a few days later I get angry at the person for not giving me. <laughs> I'll give you uh, I'll give you a few guesses as to who he's referring to. Creed <laughs> so he points at his brother. I love it. Yeah, I love it, yeah. Um, so uh, where I was, uh, Christina said welcome back. Where I was last week was in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, home of the, uh, well, home of my parents, actually, because the other, the other thing I was going to say is not really notable. Um, we went to... <laughs> We went to the Lions game last week, and it was actually the Packers game last week when they faced off against the Detroit Lions. And um, now I'm a, I'm a football guy. I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I grew like my I showed Creed in this. Literally, the church that I was a part of is literally in the shadow of Lambeau Field. Like like the shadow of Lambeau Field casts on the church that I grew up in. Um, I, I grew up as a football kid. I grew up as a football guy. I went to I went to every game. I went to every home game that I possibly could. I went to dozens and dozens and dozens of games. I grew up around the Packers. Um, it was a, a fantastic thing. So I'm like, okay, uh, for this year for Christmas, we're giving our kids trips because they're now all getting to be um, you know teenagers and. Uh, teenagers are weird people. Um, talk about selfish, but uh, anyway. So the the teenagers, you kind of lose you lose touch with them if you don't spend a lot of time pouring into their bank. And so I'm like, well, we're gonna we're gonna pour into their bank. Oh yeah, Jonas, like pour into my bank a little more. Um, yeah, but if they're not pouring into their relational bank, then we're gonna lose touch with them. And so I'm like, well, we're gonna take all our kids on a trip. And so Laura and Winter are going over to Arizona in a week or two. Um, Winter's paying for it all, uh, and the <laughs> Uh, we took Jonas to Denver and uh, and to the Cat Cafe, which we talked about a little while ago. Um, and this last week, I took Creed into Green Bay and uh, decided to take him to his first Packer game ever. Oh. Like, this was a rite of passage moment, right? Like, this is like, I have my son with me. Behold my son, who's now about to become a real man. Walk into Lambeau Field, right? Like, that was what was going on in my head. <laughs> No, Jonas is the Vikings fan because he was born in he was born in Minnesota and he we dropped him on his head a lot. So um, <laughs> that's not not entirely true. Uh, but but anyway, so I took Crean to be like, this is it, this is my rite of passage, and he's my football kid. Like he loves football and he likes the Packers, and so we went to this game, right? And the game was exciting for about three seconds, which is really a good thing at the end of the game, but not so much at the beginning of the game if that's the only three seconds it was exciting for. And uh, it was just this dud of a game. If you, didn't, if you don't follow the Packers, I don't blame you, but uh, they, they were shut out. It was a zero-point game against the Detroit Lions. Like, blah. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, Aaron Rodgers, our star quarterback, got a concussion in the first the first series, and he was out, and we didn't get to see him at all anymore after the third series. And it was uh, and and so what's happening is I'm sitting there. Now just picture this, right? We're sitting there. We're sitting there in the south end zone, no north end zone. Sitting there in the north end zone, the sun creeps out. It's this beautiful day after it was a little bit frigid. We tailgated, saw all the craziness, saw all the people who had been drinking since six in the morning in the parking lot already, and it was already noon. And we just kind of took all this in, and we're sitting in this in this stadium. 80,000 people around us, which is not even a sellout. In Green Bay, Wisconsin, it's only 100,000 people in Green Bay, 300,000 if you add in the, the surrounding areas. So think about... You know, capacity is like 100,000 in the stadium in a town of 300,000, where the city is only 100,000, right? It's a pretty big deal. So we're sitting there in the stadium, and there's 80,000 people, and they're losing the game. And I am like Joey, angry, deeply, mortally, personally offended that the Packers would dare lose a game that is my son's first game. And there's this thing going on in my head. I'm like, what should I do about this? Should I write them an email? And like, <laughs> like send them some complaining fan mail about their poor showing on my son's first game and how dare they not care about my son's first game, right? And just on and on and on for like an entire hour and a half, two hours, just angry. And Laura's texting me, how's the game going? I'm just angry. Why are you angry? Uh, stupid reasons. And I'm just angrier and angrier and angrier, right? And I can't get over this. And I've got the binoculars out, and I'm looking over at the field trying to see who stayed, like how, what, which one of the uh, players stayed and which ones didn't. And I'm airy, like angry at Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, because he walked out on my son's first game. And then, and then there's that moment, right? Selfishness skewed the entire experience. Like anybody else cared about the 80,000 people, like any anybody knew, like, this was your son's first game. I was so offended, so angry, so selfishly uh, offended because they didn't honor my son's first game. Isn't that ridiculous? Okay, follow me here. This is what we're going to talk about for the next 16 weeks. How selfishness skews everything. Especially in churches. Especially in churches. Selfishness, walking into a church experience, being a person who tries to make it all about me, all about my experience, all about this, all about this person right here. That skews everything that God has intended about the church. And what happens is you end up with this really lost feeling where your experience does not match up with what you think or what it should have been. A lot in our world is this way. We're, we're selfish, we walk into it like Joey so wisely just said. You can selfishly walk into something and want to like angrily, and he didn't go this far, but like you, you can literally want to call fire down and have somebody removed from this planet because of their interactions in, the other, their, in your life because they're just being human and you're just being selfish. So we're going to jump into a whole new series. And this is why it's important with what Nick and I were talking about before. As we're launching into something, or as we're talking about something for 16 weeks, we're going to also turn our focus to not only battling back uh, selfishness biblically, like looking at what goes wrong in a church when you make it all about you, as we study through 1 Corinthians, but what we're also going to do is we're going to pair that along with like this major effort to become a church that's together, and that is a family that prays for one another, sacrifices for one another, 
works with one another, walks alongside one another, serves alongside one another, prays for one another, praises God for what He's doing in their lives. All of that stuff that we've done on a corporate level, we want that done individually, one-on-one as well. And so along with this series, we're going to do some experimental things. We're going to ask some of you actually to get up and share your story here, publicly. Introverts, you can do it too. Well, I can, I can like put a shield up or something. I can like buzz out your face like one of those uh, mystery, one of those mystery shows. We can, we can put some effects on the mic so nobody can tell it's you. But seriously, like next week we're gonna have uh, we're gonna have Nick Weiss get up. He's gonna share his story and tell you about who he is because I want you guys to know the people who are here. I want you to know what Jesus has done in every single one of these lives because if you start getting the stories of what Jesus has done in these people's lives you will be totally amazed after three or four of them. After one or two of them, you'll be amazed. We're also going to be making, like I said, this huge push towards community groups, which is more than a small group, but is a group that actually pursues faith together in word and deed. So, are you ready to jump in? I don't care. Stop being selfish. We're going anyway. So, First Corinthians is where we're going to be. That's in the New Testament. It is, uh, I would give you my page number, but I can't flip that fast. It's page 3000. Oh, hey, you know what's selfish? is when people correct other people's math. Okay, um... <laughs> Sorry, Chris. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're actually, I, I'm having you turn to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to have you turn a few pages back uh, to Acts in just a little bit because we're, we're going to kind of launch into a bit of an introduction. I'm going to get you caught up to speed on what the church in, in Corinth is all about. Um, and we're going to do this kind of introduction thing, and that's going to launch us into picking apart the text starting next week. So here's the deal. Um, Corinth, or Corinthians is a letter to the church of Corinth. Uh, Corinth is a very interesting place. Um, I wish I had a map. I would pull it up. But basically... Uh, Corinth uh, has two ports. It's like uh, it has a port coming in from the west side of the Mediterranean Ocean, coming in from the east side, and so you didn't have to sail through all of this weird, uh, difficult place with a lot of uh, with a lot of shipwrecks and all kinds of stuff. It's in the, in the ancient world, the middle of the sea was a place of great chaos and great death. Okay, so they would usually skirt along the edges of the sea, anyways, in order to try to stay near shore for good purposes and good reasons. But what was happening in Corinth is there's two ports, okay? So it's a very affluent town. It's in many ways the America of the ancient world. Um, it's very, very, uh, it has a lot of industry, it has a lot of trade, it has a lot of technology, it has a lot of money, it has a, little, a lot of power, a lot of temples to gods everywhere. You could go worship any god you wanted to at any point in time in Corinth. It was, this, it was literally a city that just never slept. They didn't, they, they, things were going kind of all day, all night. Uh, like I said, it had two ports, which means there was twice as many sailors and pirates and scallywags coming into Corinth and other places. Um, it was a powerful city. It regulated trade for much of the modern world and if it started to exercise taxes and tariffs, it could take down an entire nation that held that much power. So the people of Corinth were very used to thinking very selfishly. The whole community, very used to thinking very selfishly. And they were encouraged 
to do so. Actually, there was a, a Greek philosophy, a Greek thought called Platonic thinking or, ne- or, or Platonism. We have something now, which I'm not going to get into, called Neoplatonism. But in Platonic thinking, basically the idea was your body was uh, your body is like sinful, and what's really pure and really really right is your soul, which li- is trapped inside your body. And so someday you're going to shut off this body, and your soul is going to float off into immaterial existence. And what you could do is basically do whatever you wanted with your body, because at some point in time this is going to die. And so people were actually encouraged to act selfishly that that was really a noble thing for them to do. It was acknowledging the reality around them. And what they would do is they would build these identities in Corinth. like um, Very much like if you can imagine what our, our society is. We have these identities that people build here. And the, the main idea is don't go against your identity. If you, if you are built a certain way, if you have certain passions and desires, don't ignore those. Run headlong with those because that's what is right. That's what's right. And so this is a culture that's incredibly selfish. Again, very much like the America of its day. The church in Corinth is a church that uh, we're going to see in just a little bit. It's a church that's splitting apart. It's a few years old, um, probably about 20, 30 years old. It's starting to split apart just a few years after Paul helps establish it. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of take a look at how this church formed. We're going to take a look at what Paul says, and then we're going to focus on kind of a point. So hopefully you're following with me already. Uh, So let's jump in and take a brief look at the DNA of this church. And what you have to do when you look at the DNA of a church, now uh, just kind of a little side note, churches are very much living organisms, okay? Uh, They have a growth cycle, they they reproduce, they should reproduce. Uh, They actually should not only have a growth cycle, but they should have a, a shrinkage cycle, and sometimes they should even die. Like there are growth cycles in small churches. Churches are are organisms, are very much living organisms. And what happens is, is as they form, there's something DNA-wise that gets leaked into that church that kind of stays with almost every church. You can see this all over the place. Um, there's a, whether it's a theological position or some sort of experience or something, when the church is founded on that, it becomes this church that kind of has that written in its DNA. This church, for example, I'll just give you a brief little example. When this church was planted, it was a fairly transient church. Am I correct, Ray and Sally? Fairly transient church? Would that be a good... And what I mean by that is you guys met in a bunch of different buildings, the 4-H building, kind of very non-traditional from the get-go, right? And so years later, that was, that was when? When am I? I'm talking about the 80s, right? 70s? 80s? Back before most of you guys were here. Um, back before the dinosaurs were gone. Uh, they wrote the church on dinosaurs. But no, the, so back in the 80s, this form of church was formed with a bit of a transient culture. Interestingly enough, now about 30, 40 years down the road, heading towards 40 years down the road, this is a group that's a fairly transient group. You guys are in and out all the time. College students coming in, leaving. Uh, people coming out of homelessness and reestablishing themselves. People coming out of uh, coming out of jail sometimes and reestablishing themselves. People transitioning from all kinds of different things to all kinds of different things. And so it's part of the DNA of this church. Corinth has a specific DNA as well, and you'll find it in Acts chapter 18, which I told you we were going to start at. I'm just going to read this chunk for you. If I don't tear another page. All right, Acts chapter 18. It says this, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. 
Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I don't know if that's how he sounded, but... I'm clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door, hilarious, to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, a very Greek name, Titius Justus. Crispus, a synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you. Because I have made people, and I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them from the Word of God. Now, here comes the DNA part. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into the court. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be judged to these things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. That's it. That's the beginning of the Church of Corinth. That's the DNA that got leaked into this place. Okay, I'm going to point out a few things about this DNA um, that are part of the culture. And you can't divorce churches from culture necessarily because we do grow up in this culture. The culture at Corinth is very violent. If you didn't catch that, it's very violent. Especially when someone disagrees with you, it gets violent. Even Paul starts to take this on, right, as a missionary. People are disagreeing with him. He shakes out his robes. He's like, I'm through with you. That's it. I'm done. And there's this violent response that's kind of happening there if someone disagrees with you. This seems to leak its way into the church. The culture of Corinth also, you can see, they unify their attack on Paul and on the church. And not only that, but not only is their attack unified, but even when their attack is thwarted, what do they do? They turn to somebody else and they beat the snot out of him in front of the judge and the judge is like, whatever, beat him. But then you also see that God leaks his, his DNA into this, right? He says, there are people, many people here who are my people. Go find them. Go find them, Paul. And in fact, he says, nobody's going to attack you. Your NIV says, attack and harm you. But it's actually, nobody will attack you to harm you. Because they will attack him. They're just not going to harm him. It's very much like a Jeremiah passage from the Old Testament. So that's what's happened, and that's the church in Corinth. That's how it establishes. It establishes in this culture that's very affluent, very selfish, very angry, very polarized. And it's like an us versus them mentality. It's, uh, uh, in our culture, we would say like a blue versus red, a Republican, Democrat. Like it's an angry culture that's polarized and going, I hate everybody who's of this persuasion, and so I'm going to attack them. But God's saying, no, I have many people in the city. Go and find them, Paul. And so this is a church that's kind of bred in conflict, but with an evangelistic bend to it that wants to find other people and bring them to Jesus. Now, over 1 Corinthians, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first 11 verses and make some observations here. Verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. Who's that? He's the guy that got beat. Why would Paul drop this name here? 
Well, my guess is he's reminding them, hey, you guys got a history. But don't give up on this Sosthenes guy, right? To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of His grace given to you in Christ Jesus. For in Him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, is faithful. I'm just going to read two verses. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. We're going to dig in to that for the next 16 weeks. Now, just some simple observations. Like I said, Paul and Sosthenes, they ju- he drops this name in there just to remind them of their history. But here's some interesting things here. Paul basically steps into this introduction, and, and he, there's some really big language here. What he does is he reminds the church in Corinth who they really are. And he says three things about them. He says, hey, you guys are covered by the blood of Jesus. Launches off right here to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Sanctified in Christ Jesus, right? That means that they have been covered by His blood and set apart for a holy work. That is, the sanctification process was the same exact idea as the tools that were used in the temple in the Old Testament. They were covered with blood and given a purpose and cleaned and cleansed and, and given the, given over to God's purposes as everything was sanctified in His in His glory and in His name. And so they've been covered by the blood of Jesus and He reminds them of that. But He doesn't just stop there because He says, not only have been covered, sanctified in Christ Jesus, but you're called to be holy. You're called to be holy. Like there's a, there's a big, there's a big thing here. They're called to be a holy. In fact, uh, your ESV would say you're called to be connected to the, the rest of the saints. And the idea of saints there is this idea of these holy ones of God that sit at the council of God watching all of His works and praising Him for what He's doing and saying, like, you have been called to something really big. And then He continues and says, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so there's this big unity statement that Paul closes on. And so he he tells them the reality of who they are, that they're covered by the blood of Jesus, that they are called to pursue holiness and called to be the saints of God, the, the holy ones of God who are witnessing God's work. And they're connected to everybody around the globe that believes the same thing. And then he actually even continues this and gets deeper on this. He turns and reminds them of what happened to them while he was there, where he says, I always thank God for you because His grace was given to you in Jesus Christ. For in Him you've been enriched in every way. And so verses 4 and 5 talk about like, there was this, the grace of God showed up and it changed them. He says you've been, you've been renewed in every way, enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Their, their words were changed and their minds were changed and things were changed about them because of the grace of God that came to rest in their lives. And then he tells them that the grace of God not only started there and changed them, but also he says, therefore, you do not lack 
Uh, excuse me, six. He says, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord, Jesus Christ, to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And basically what Paul's talking about is you've been given all these gifts. You've been given things. Your, your mouth was changed. Your, your minds were changed. And then like God placed a spiritual gift inside of you and said now you're called into this work that God has He's changed you for. He's prepared you for. He's placed something inside of you that you need to use for His glory. And then he finishes up in verse 9 and says, God who has called you into His fellowship with His Son Jesus Christ our Lord is faithful. And he talks more about that connectedness. Not only are you connected to the, the global saints, but you're connected to Jesus Christ. Right? Like These are the, some big realities. Some big realities about being covered and called and connected. And then he deepens that even more theologically. And then turns into, but, 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 I appeal to you to stop dividing. So I want to approach this. What, what, what's happening in Corinth? What happened to these guys? And I've titled this sermon the, uh, the Adolescent Church, and there's a reason why. Um, I have adolescents in the home. We call them teenagers sometimes, and uh, or we call them other names. Depends on how selfish I'm feeling. Um, now, what do you guys know about adolescents? You should know a lot about them. Are they weird? Yeah. Are they smelly? Yeah. Uh, Are they awkward? Yeah. Okay. Um, Do they eventually grow up? Sometimes. Adolescence, um, in in natural development, in natural human development, people who grow up, they have this natural thing that happens. It's actually natural human development far beyond adolescence. Is we have this issue with identity. And if you know anything about middle schoolers, do middle schoolers dress funny? Yeah. And do they change the way they dress from time to time? Yeah. You know why they do that? They do it because they're searching for something to grasp onto, to give themselves an identity. And then, and then it moves from there. It's not only just externally dressing, but it's also getting involved in certain things and having certain friends and talking a certain way and acting a certain way and being cool a certain way and all that stuff. And what happens is they're developing an identity. And if their identity is particularly shaky, they may, they may be tossed about in the waves. And what happens is a teenager can get really lost. And, and maybe you guys have been there. Some of you guys, it hasn't been that long since you've been there. Remember those awkward middle school years where you tried out that hairstyle? I'll find the pictures, don't worry. But this doesn't just stop in middle school years. This happens a little bit later in your 20s. We call this the, uh, uh, what did they call this? The I like to call it the pre-midlife crisis crisis. Um, but they call this the coming of age crisis. So in your 20s, you go through this as well where you're like, who am I? Is this all there is to life where I'm going to work and get a paycheck and I'm going to die? And there's this real identity crisis. And then what we call a midlife crisis, which I'm about to go through, yay, is where we look at it and we go, oh, is this what I really want to do with my life? What is the meaning of my life? Why have these children sucked all my life away? Right? Like there's all these questions that come out. And so what happens is we grow mullets and we buy tiny little red convertible cars and it's great. Really looking forward to it. And so is my wife. I'm going to rock. Okay. Um, (laughs) But then this also happens a little bit later in your, uh, now it's actually pushing off into your 50s, we call this the empty nest crisis. 
where parents have have had children and they've been carting children around and they've been uh, bound to their children's schedules and they've been trying to get to know their children's friends and it's all about children, 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 children and then all of a sudden the children leave and mom and dad look at each other and go, who are you? Am I stuck with you for the next 40 years? And we see people actually bouncing at that moment and splitting up on their families. And you see this happen. You can actually watch it like a, these little spike bubbles that happen in these days and age, in, in these time frames. This is a, this is an issue of an identity, an identity crisis, an identity problem. So I want to talk a little bit about identity. What in the world is it? And so these two words that are up on the screen are really, really important. Two words, status and identity. Now, a status is something that is given to you from the outside and something that is given to you as a place in life. We would call this like your economic status, your social status, your marital status, right? Those are things that aren't from the inside. They're given to you from the outside. And then there is identity. Identity is from the inside. It's who do I think that I am? Who am I going to portray myself to be? What do I dress like? What do I talk like? And in middle school years and all the way up, right, that that crisis we were talking about is a crisis of identity in which one thing we're trying to pin our identity on gets a little shaky and then we try another thing and we go, no, that one's not working. Try another thing. No, that one's not working. And basically, that's that's a battle that each of us are having. Now, here's where I want to camp for the rest of the day. God has given you a status. God has given you a status through the blood of Jesus Christ and His resurrection. From the outside, from so far outside of you, God has given you a status. He says, you, 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 not just the Corinthian church, but also you, you have been covered by the blood of Jesus. You have been called to a ministry, given a gifting inside of yourself that if you do not use it, you are going against the status that God has given you. And you have been given, you've been connected to all of the saints. And to do this faith thing on your own is on par with some of the greatest sin. God has given each of us a status. The question is, does our identity match our status? Does your identity match your status? It's one of the reasons why I loved having Robert here. This is literally what the crisis of faith was. He phrased it a million different or a couple of different ways because he doesn't talk much. I phrased it a million different ways because I talk a lot. That's what it was. Is he's going, my identity does not match up with the reality of who God is. There is a status that is out there that has been given to me and I am not living that way and I am done with it because it's not working. church in Corinth, one of their issues, the big issue, is they flip-flopped these things. They said, no, the church is about my identity. And we're going to read that in the next 16 weeks. And it goes from the church is about my sexual identity, to my economic identity, to my political identity, to every single, my marital identity. The church is about endorsing whoever I want to be. And that is another way that this church very much reflects our churches. But the reality is God has given you a status that you've been covered by the blood of Jesus, that you've been called into ministry here in Rapid City and beyond, and you are connected to all of the saints all around the world, and that you've even been given given a commission to go and do those things. And in the way you do those things, as you do them, you will see Jesus. 
you will see Jesus right with you to the end of the age. This is the crisis of faith. This is what faith is all about. This is what the Christian walk is all about. Is God says something about you. Who do you trust? God or you? That's it. We make it all kinds of complex. God says you are sinful and in need of a Savior, and then He provided a Savior. Who do you trust? You to save yourself or to give your life to Jesus Christ? God says that you have been called to be part of a great global organization. How do you live like that? God says that, hey, I've saved you so that I can hear your prayers. So that, I can, so that you can pray to me for the good of this world and I will somehow mysteriously, unbelievably listen to your prayers and change the fabric of this world. How do you live in that? How do you live into that? This is the heart of what's going on behind like why we want to do these group thingies. It's not because you know it's super cool and fun to do group thingies. Or because like every cool church is doing them. It's not about that. It is about, hey, if we've been called to pray together, let's meet together and pray together. If we've been called to listen to the Word of God, let's meet together and listen to the Word of God. If we've been called to go serve this community, let's get out there and go serve this community and let's do it with our brothers and sisters in Christ, kicking every ch- kicking each other in the backside saying, we've got to do this and we've got to do it now because time is short and people are going to hell. Basically, my charge to you today, which is a beautiful thing as Robert so uh, beautifully portrayed here it's time for us me, you us, it's time for us to grow up to stop being teenager Christians adolescent Christians who are trying to figure out our identity trying to wear all the cool Christian clothes or not wear them, trying to wear a cool Christian beard or not have one because I can't grow one, trying to read the right Christian books and Bibles and all that stuff or not, and dividing over who we read and who we don't read and who we pay attention to and who we don't pay attention to. It's time to give up that garbage and just focus on loving Jesus Christ, having our lives transformed by Him, laying our lives down the altar, getting out there and doing the things that God has laid out in front of us to do. It is time, high time, that we grow up. That we grow up and we stop being teenager Christians. Wishy-washy and thrown all over the place. So as we close, let me remind you of this. And the beautiful thing is we have communion today. Now, because you know we're in a small space and we got the giant cattle tank there, there's only two stations. So just so you know, the exit rows are here and there. And what did you say, Lauren? There's one in the back too. Yeah, there's one in the back, too. If you, um, I don't know where. Oh, up on the half wall. Um, we, have, we have communion. And here's the beauty of this thing. What is this thing? You have been covered by the blood of Jesus. You have been called by God to take in the Spirit of Jesus and to have something inside of you that you must have to use for the good of the church. You're connected to everybody around. This is communion, which isn't a one-on-one thing. We do this together. And I always tell this story. This is the most beautiful thing. I've told it many, many times. Years ago, I went to Malawi, and I couldn't understand a single word until they pulled out this tray and this, this drink and this bread. Couldn't understand a single thing of what they were saying in the church until they pulled this out, and I went, these are my brothers. This connects us globally. 
Everywhere you go, you will see this. And you will be, and you'll see that. You'll see that tank. You'll see these plates. And you're going to go, these are my people, even though I don't understand them. You are connected. And you have been commissioned. That is your status. That is what God has said about you. My question is simply to you, do you trust that? Do you, do you trust that? Will you choose that? Will you lay your life down for that? Will you say, you know what? Enough of this. Enough of me. Let, enough of me. I want this to be about Jesus. This isn't about my identity. It's about the status that He has given me. Because when those two line up, that's what we call worship. So let's pray. Matt's going to come up and play. And you guys can come and take communion. And uh, this is uh, we practice open communion here at Common Ground. You don't have to be a member of the church to take communion. We just ask that you do business with Jesus. Whatever business you have to do with Him today, that's what we ask. So let's pray. Jesus, You have said a great many things. You say so many things about us, Lord. You tell us the reality of who we are. You tell us the reality of what we need. You tell us the reality of what we've been called to. Lord, you tell us so much about who we are and about who you are. And Lord, I want to trust your words. There's so many areas, there's so many places in my life, in my heart, in my mind, where I've trusted something I've made up on my own or some other person's theological structure or something like that. But Lord, I just want to know you because this is all about a relationship with you. Thank you for covering me in the blood of Jesus. Thank you for calling me to to the work of the ministry that you've laid out in front of me. Thank you for connecting me to people all over this world. Thank you for giving us a commission to go and find others. And Lord, I pray for my friends here that as we come together, as we come to this table, as we come to this time, that this would be something where we would do business with you, inviting you to take over our lives. Because it is imperative that we understand and we know and we live in who you have told us who we are. Help us to grow up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.